last part of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to do it kind of backwards. I'm going to start in verse 12 and we're going to work back to verse 7. So this is Matthew seven twelve. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You've heard this before. This is the golden rule, I'd say. You know, if people know two or three things from the Bible, they know that. Whether they know Jesus said it or not, whether they've ever picked up a Bible, people know that. You do to others what you want them to do to you. And that idea actually predates Jesus. Um, Confucius put, said it this way. He said, what you do not want done to yourself, don't do to others. There were um, Greek philosophers, there were Jewish rabbis. A lot of folks had conceived of that truth in the negative. Don't do to others what you don't want done to you. Jesus is the first person in history to reverse it and give it in the positive sense. Do to others what you want done to you. And that's a huge shift in relationships. You can do the negative. You can fulfill the negative golden rule sitting on your couch watching TV. You don't have to do anything. I don't want you to lie to me, so I wouldn't, I don't lie to you. I wouldn't want you to steal from me, so I'm not going to steal from you. I wouldn't want you to harm me, so I'm not going to harm you. It doesn't require any engagement. It doesn't require any relationship. You can do it by yourself watching TV. You cannot harm others by not doing anything. All you're doing is not harming them. That's the negative version of this golden rule. Jesus flipped it and made it positive. Do to others what you would have them do to you, and that changes kind of turns relationships upside down because it requires intentionality and it requires action and it requires engagement. I would want you, it's not just that I don't want you to steal from me, I would want you to help me if I was in need. Well, then I would help you. It's not just that I don't want you to lie to me, I want you to tell me the truth. Well, I'll tell you the truth. It's not just that I don't want you to not harm me, I want you to be kind to me. I'm kind to you. You see that the way Jesus flipped this around, it, it redefined relationships. And relationships are not just about not hurting people anymore. They're actually about helping them, about loving them. Love demands expression. And that's what Jesus is saying. And later on at the end of his ministry, he gives this. Someone asks him, what are the two greatest, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love God. And the second one is like it, to love people. And that love people kind of frames this idea of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. You might say, you know what, I want somebody to lie for me if I'm ever in a jam, so I'm going to do that for you. That's not necessarily the golden rule. That's where the love part comes in. Love is doing what's best for others regardless of the consequences to yourself. So you have both of those things that kind of play off of each other. It's not just a matter of not harming people. It's a matter of doing them good, doing to them as you would have them do to you, and that doing to them is defined or in the context of love, which is doing what's best for other people. So what Jesus is basically saying is he's pushing us into relationships. We've looked at that for the past couple of weeks. Jesus is pushing relationships. And here he's defining, he's saying this one command sums up all of the Old Testament, sums up the law and the prophets, all of the stuff that he's been saying, this is what you need to do. This is what all of that stuff is summed up in that one golden rule. If we can do that, and we've gone a long way to doing everything that Jesus would ask us to do. We said when we first started this series that the point of the whole thing was to actually try to live out the Sermon on the Mount. The reason we picked the sermon was because a lot of people say you can't do it. You, you cannot do this stuff. It's just inspirational teaching. You can't actually do what Jesus says to do or you'll, or you'll get chewed up and spit out. And so we picked it and we said that the, the whole point is to actually try to live it. The wise person is the, is the guy who hears the words of Jesus and does them. The fool is the person who hears them and doesn't do them. We don't want to be fools. We want to be these wise folks. 
you don't remember anything else from the past six or seven weeks and you might not, just remember this. The words of the Bible are to be lived. And it's easy for us to kind of to miss that because we've got four or five Bibles on our bookshelf and you can buy them at any store. It's, it's, it's easy to forget that this is the word of God. Like literally, this is God's words to us. And he's, instruct, he's showing us how to live. He's showing us who he is and who we are and how we relate to him and how we relate to other people. And he's not giving suggestions. He's not giving advice. He's, this is the deal. And he expects us to be formed and shaped by it. That's the reason we get into this, is so it can form us and shape us and, for, and mold us into the people that God wants us to be. So what I'm, I've got three points that I'm going to make. And at the end of each point, I'm just going to stop and we're just going to pray that we would actually do these things. This is Thanksgiving week, which is great for some people and terrible for some people and neutral for some others. will be different settings. Some of you get time off of work. You're going to be with family, which can be good or bad, or you're going to hide from your family at Britt and Catherine's house, which can be good or bad. Whatever you're going to do, there are opportunities here to actually do this stuff this week. And so at the end of each point, just because that's the whole deal is to actually do it, I'm just going to pray. So we're going to, I'm going to pray about this first little point, and then we're going to go on to the next one so you guys can pray with me. This is what I encourage you to do. When you think about the golden rule, doing to someone else as you would have them do to you, I want you to think about the folks that you're going to see this week, and I want you to pinpoint the person who's the hardest. When you think about doing to them how you would want done to you, who's the one that you just can't get there with? And that's the person we're going to pray for. God, I pray we all have a picture or a name in our head and uh, for different reasons. Some of them are just irritating. Some of them are mean. Some of them have hurt us. Whatever. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace this week, whether that's on Thanksgiving or at work tomorrow, whenever it is that we encounter this person, I pray that you would give us grace to treat them the way we want to be treated. That you would give us grace even to move beyond just not harming to actually loving these people who are in our heads right now. God, at first it might seem forced and mechanical and, and that's, that's okay. But Lord, I pray that over time, as we continue to practice this golden rule with these folks who are difficult, that our hearts would change as well. We would find ourselves having more space in our heart for folks who are difficult. We would find ourselves loving more quickly, forgiving more easily, and uh, blessing people up as a kind of an automatic response regardless of what it is that they give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question I was thinking of was, okay, we're starting at the bottom, and everything you do, do to other folks as you would have them do to you, this sums up the law and the prophet. So the question I ask is, well, if I'm doing to you, who's doing to me? Like, who's taking care of me? If I'm supposed to be taking care of you, then who is taking care of me? This is kind of where that thing comes in. People say, you can't live that way. If you do to others as you want them to do to you, they're not going to reciprocate. And you're going to get, you're going to be a doormat. You're going to get walked all over. You're going to get taken advantage of all this. And this is what Jesus says to that. This is starting in verse 9. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? 
If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The thing there, again, we're working backwards. Jesus says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And the reason you can do that, the reason you can love people and give to people and bless people, the reason you can do that is because you have a Father in heaven who likes to give good gifts. And if you're one of his children, then you're in line to receive those good gifts. We don't, I don't golden rule you so you can golden rule me back. That's not, these aren't business relationships where this is what I bring to the table and this is what you bring to the table and we look and see if it's mutually beneficial. And if it is, then we shake hands and strike up a partnership. That's not relationships in the kingdom of God. Relationships in the kingdom of God, turn the other cheek, go the second mile, someone asks for your shirt, you give them your shirt and your jacket. Store up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth. You do things so God sees it and rewards you, not so other people see it and reward you. We're not looking for reciprocal relationships here. Contracts. This is what I bring. This is what you bring. You scratch my back. I scratch yours. So I golden rule you because God says so, whether or not you do that back. I don't try to manipulate you. I don't try to hold you hostage. I don't try to figure out how you're going to give back to me what I give to you. And Maggie and I strike a deal where I'm going to love you and you're going to love me back. And so then we have this we have this common interest that, no, no, that's not relationships in the kingdom. In the kingdom, I do to you as I would have you do to me, regardless of what you actually do to me. That's a whole nother thing. In uh, Matthew, I think it's 545, Jesus says this. Starting in verse 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. So that's Interesting. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Why? So that you may be sons of your father in heaven. That's an identity marker. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what, what reward will you get? The answer is none. Are you not, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your father is perfect. The picture there is... You, I don't love you so you can love me back or because you can love me back. I love you because God said to love you. Whether you're good or bad, righteous or unrighteous, whether you deserve it or not, it doesn't matter. So I golden rule you because Jesus said I'm supposed to golden rule you. Whether or not you golden rule me back is irrelevant. It's, we're, I'm, we're not going one and one here. I'm not keeping a record. Well, these are all the things I've done for you. Now you've got to do all those things. No, not at all. The reason I golden rule you and do to you as I would want you to do to me is because Jesus says so, and I don't need you to pay me back because I'm getting paid back this way. I have a Father in heaven who gives good gifts, so I don't need good gifts from you. I get them here, and you don't need good gifts from me because you get them here also. Does that mean that we're all not responsible for this golden rule? Not at all. Matthew 5.19, Jesus says, that Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments... You've broken the whole thing and you're going to be considered least in the kingdom of God. We all have to live this way. But we don't live this way in these kind of, again, kind of striking these side room deals that we're going to watch each other's back. That's not what this is about. The relationships of grace is what they are. And I golden rule you because God's taking care of me. And the whole pivot point for this entire thing is whether or not you think God is a good father. And you know the right answer to that is yes. But I don't know if that's the real answer. In your heart, do you personally believe God is a good father for you? 
the, Jesus says God gives good gifts to his children. Do you think that means you? And don't say yes if the answer is no. It's not helping you. You don't go to hell because you think God is a, you don't get that God is a good father. That doesn't, that's not a deal breaker. We talked a few weeks ago about the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son who goes away and comes back and he has an older brother who's sitting outside and is angry at the way his father receives this young son. That's that older son, that's the guy who doesn't get that his father is a good father. He's acting like a servant and not like a son. And that'll be us if we don't get that God is a good father for us. It doesn't mean you're not part of the family. What it means is you're keeping yourself farther away from God than you need to. He wants to treat you like a son. And you're treating yourself like a slave. Or you're treating yourself like a servant. It has, it's nothing to do with God's affections towards you and everything to do with how you are relating to him. You're kind of, you're choosing to sit in the back row. It doesn't knock you out. It just means you're choosing to sit farther back than you need to sit. You're asking for a goat and God wants to give you a fattened calf. That has nothing to do with the Lord. That has everything to do with us and our perception of our relationship with them. So you're still in. That's not the deal. It's just how close are you? Are you relating as someone who lives in the house or are you relating as someone who lives in the servant quarters? And that's really, that's for you to answer. I don't like to, I think it's silly to blame our parents for stuff. And We're adults and we have to take responsibility for our own actions and all of that. But the bottom line is the relationship you have with your dad affects the relationship you have with God because God is a father. So in your head, there's already stuff in the father box. When you hear father, there's a file in there and it runs. It's like a startup program on a computer. And it runs every time you hear the word father. And no matter how awesome your father was, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't God. There are places where he didn't make it, where he didn't measure up. And if he was crummy, then you don't need me to explain that at all. But at some point, we've got to realize that how we related to our dad will affect how we relate to our father. And it's not about trashing your parents, and it's not about blaming your dad for stuff. It's just about reality and recognizing there's stuff in here that you're bringing to the table. And it will affect your relationship with God. And if you don't, if I don't, if we don't get that God is a good father, you can't do any of the stuff that we're talking about. Because you're always going to be trying to take care of yourself. You can't give yourself away if you've got to protect yourself. You can't give if you're always wondering about what about mine? Or what's going to happen to me? I'm not just talking about stuff. I'm talking about you. You can't do that for long unless you're confident that somebody is taking care of you. And ultimately, the only person who can do that is God. Your spouse can't, your kids can't, your parents can't, your friends can't. Nobody else can ultimately take care of you. And some of you may have been in relationships where somebody has put that on you or you've put that on somebody else. It doesn't work. The whole thing crumbles. So ultimately, you've got to decide, and I've got to decide, is God a good father to me? I know he's a good father to her. I don't have any problem with that. Is he a good father to me? Do I trust him to give me good gifts? Yes or no? Let's pray about that. This is what I want to encourage you to do. Again, this isn't about, this isn't Oprah. We're not looking to bash our parents and get in touch with childhood memories or any of that. This is just a, a recognition 
that the enemy will exploit any material that he has. So your dad showed up to 57,000 of your sporting events and he missed one. And that's the only one, that's the one that sticks out in your mind. Your dad was patient and kind and loving for 18 years and twice he blew his top. And those are the two that kind of latch in your mind. It's, it could be something like that. And so it's not about not honoring your parents at all. It's just about recognizing that the enemy looks for things that he can exploit. And he's looking to put lies into the foundation of your relationship with God. And one of the places where he will do that is relating to God as a father because that's difficult for a lot of us. So this is what we're going to pray. Just kind of think through that. Lord, I pray now that as we think about you as a good father, if there are any in this room who don't, we're not living that. We know that in our heads, but we're not living that. I pray that you would show us that. You would show us the places where we're believing a lie, where we're believing less of you than is really true. Where it's causing us to relate to you um, in ways that are just maybe off just a little bit, but they are off. the Lord brought something to your mind, I'd encourage you just to confess that. You can just do it in your heart and repent, which is just turning away, choosing to believe what's true. God, we know that you're your intention when you created us was to was to start a family. You're looking for sons and daughters. And Jesus, you're looking for brothers and sisters. We know the Holy Spirit is the one who conveys to us the family likeness. He is the spirit of adoption. All of this is family language. And for some of us, that's easy. And for some of us, that's not so easy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. The places where our earthly families don't, where they're giving us bad information. I pray that you would overcome that and you would give us grace to see how you relate to us as a good father and what it means to be a part of your family, what it means to be chosen by you. Not in some squishy, sentimental way, but reality. The reality of what it is to be a son, a daughter of God, to be chosen by you, the, the, the king of the universe, to enter into your family. God, if there are any of us who are living like servants, I pray that you would call us into the house, that we would hear you calling us into the house this morning, and that we would say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. So then my question is, well, how do you tap into that? Okay, God's a good father. He wants to give good gifts. So what do, we, do we fill out an application? Do we stand in line? Do we compete? How, how do we get in on that? And this is verse 7. Ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. The, the idea behind that is persistent prayer. It's ask and 
keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And the one who asks and keeps on asking, they receive. The person who seeks and keeps on seeking, they find. And the person who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door will be open to them. So the idea is persistence and that persistence is rewarded. That's the truth and that's great. I think there are a couple of snags that come in along the way. One, for me, the question is, well, why? Jesus just says in Matthew 6, 8 that God knows what we need before we ask. He says we don't have to babble on like the pagans. It's not because we use a lot of words that God responds to us. He's just went through this whole thing about not worrying that God's going to take care of us. So why do we have to be persistent? Why do we have to keep on asking? That seems to work against this idea of trusting the Lord. And for some of us, we think the reason we have to be persistent, again, thinking back to the Father thing, is because we've got to convince God that we're good enough to get whatever it is he wants to give us. We're, we're wearing him down. You've got kids. You know how that is. They're, just, they're wearing you out, waiting for just get, catch you in a moment of weakness so you say yes. And some of us relate to God that way. We're persistent because we're hoping we catch him when he's tired. And he'll just say yes and give us what we want. We're not trying to overcome God's unwillingness. That's not what we're doing through persistence. I think persistence is a sign of faith. Every time we go to God and ask him to do something, we're expressing faith that he can actually do it. Most of you, if you're, if you need, if you're in a financial crunch and you need $10,000, you're not going to come ask me because I can't help you. And if you ask me once, you're never going to ask me again. You're not going to persistently ask me for that because I've got nothing for you. Ford and GM and Atlanta and Philadelphia and whoever that are lining up asking Congress for money are asking because there's money there. They know they might not get it, but they know the money is there, and so they're asking, and they're going to keep on asking. And that's kind of the picture to me of persistence. We, can, we ask repeatedly. Every time we do, it's an expression of faith that, God, you can do this. If we didn't think you could then we wouldn't ask. I think it's a Hebrews 11.6 that says, without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who approaches him has to first believe that he exists and two, you have to believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there's kind of this picture. Every time you're praying, every time you're asking God for something, you're expressing faith. One, that you're not just talking to the ceiling, that there is a God there who you're connecting to and two, you recognize that he does reward people who earnestly Seek him. Now, you might not feel any of that, and that's okay. But that's what you're doing. That's an act of obedience, praying persistently. So that, to me, is why we pray persistently. Jesus said so. That's good enough. And I think, again, it's, this, it's an expression of faith. Those mustard seeds that we looked at a few weeks ago. Every time you pray, that's kind of throwing a mustard seed into the bucket. So then the question becomes, well, what, what happens? And sometimes persistence is rewarded. You get what you were asking for, and it's great. All is right with the world, and heavenly choirs sing, and there's a light on you, and all of that is good. You were seeking, you were asking, you were knocking, and you got. But most of you have been doing this long enough to know there's sometimes that you don't. There are times where you've been persistent, and you haven't gotten what you've been seeking and asking and knocking for. And that creates tension. And at least it creates tension in me. Maybe it doesn't create any tension and you are not, but I think it does. I think there's a sense which you just get tired. How long? A week, a month, a year? For some of you, you've been praying for the same thing for many years, maybe even a decade or more. You've been praying for some of the same things. You've been persistently praying, and it's not happening. And at some point, we just wonder, what in the world 
is going on. I've told you all about um, my friends, Mark and Amy Fritchman. They have two boys, and we were visiting them last February. I think I told you all this. And their kids, they, she, Amy was telling us this parenting strategy for when kids keep asking, why not, why not, why not, why not, why not. She said that you get all of the reasons, and you cut them up. You type them up on sheets of paper, and you cut them up and put them in a hat. Because I said so, because it's too expensive, because we don't have time, just whatever. You get all your 20 reasons why you would say no, and you put them into a hat. And when Maggie comes and says, can we do this? And I say no, and she says, why not? I just say, pick one. Just pick one. And that's why we can't do that. That's why we're not doing that today. And it's not mean. It's just like at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. I'm, I'm your parent. And I said so. And so that's, and I think with the Lord, it can be the same way with unanswered prayer. Prayers that we don't see any movement on. We can talk all day long about why. Lack of faith, asking for wrong reasons, wrong timing, not being patient enough, asking for things that God doesn't want to do, spiritual warfare. We can talk about all of those. But when you're in the middle of the disappointment, I think God, it's just pick one. Just who cares? Just pick one. The question is, to me, do you still trust God to be a good father when he's not acting in the way you think a good father should act? When you don't trust, when it's hard for you to see good father based on these decisions and actions, do you still trust good father? We can go through all the reasons why, but at the end of the day, do, do you really care why or why not? What you want, is you want the answer, not the reason. This is a bad analogy. All analogies break down. Christmas is coming up. Kids are writing lists. Ours already have a long list. And some of these kids, they think they're going to die if they don't get number one on their list. I know they're not going to die. You know they're not going to die. They think they're going to. And so they're asking parents persistently, this is what I want. They're writing letters to Santa persistently. They're praying persistently. They're covering all their bases. Wherever the gifts come from, they're asking everybody. I got Santa, I got God, I got my parents. It's coming from one of those sources. And they're asking, 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 asking. And on Christmas Day, some of them aren't going to get number one. And they're going to be crushed. Does it really matter then why? Because it was made with lead-based paint, because it was too expensive, because it wasn't age-appropriate, because we couldn't afford it. Does it really matter why? They don't care why. What they care is they didn't get it. And when they don't get it, the question is, do you still trust me? to be a good dad, even when you don't think I'm being a good dad right now? That's the question. And I think that's the question the Lord asks of us. It's not that he's testing us at all. And you say the thing I'm asking for is a billion times more significant than number one on a Christmas list. Absolutely, I'm sure it is. Health, spouse, job, food for the hungry, whatever it is you're asking for, I'm sure it's a lot more significant than anything that can be bought at Toys R Us. But the point is still the same. Do you trust God to be a good dad, even when you don't think he's acting like a good dad? Will you continue to ask and seek and knock, or do you pull up and say, I'm out? Or do you go looking for somebody else to get that thing for you? Or maybe you try to get it for yourself. We're going to pray about this. You guys, Bo, you guys can come back up. We're going to pray about this, and then we're going to close in worship. Two points I want to pray about. Maybe one of these hits you. This is kind of the question I was thinking of, is what are you waiting for? And I was thinking of that in two two ways. The first is, what are you waiting for in terms of why aren't you, why aren't I stepping out? How come there's nothing that I'm 
believing the Lord to do in my life. And it could be because you or I, we've pulled up. We've, there's been something that we were persistently seeking, and it's just not happening, and we're tired. We're just tired. Or it could be you've forgotten. Hebrews 6.12 says, We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what was promised. Faith and patience. You need both. You have to stay in faith, believing God, but be patient, trusting God. So Lord, I pray if there are any of us here who've kind of sat, or we're sitting on the sidelines, we've pulled up, we've pulled out, we're not asking and seeking and knocking for whatever reason, because we're lazy or because we forgot or just because we're tired of it. I pray that you would re-energize us this morning. I would challenge you even between now and Christmas, that's a limited amount of time, 30 days or whatever that is. If there's something that you've put on the shelf, to bring it back, put it on the top of your list between now and Christmas and pray persistently that the Lord would answer. The second thing I was thinking of was this question, what are you waiting for, was literally, what are you waiting for? Is there anything that you're waiting for God to do?